The Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group is an award-winning team with hundreds of successful transactions under their belt. Through their national network, the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group works hard to help families realize the dream of home ownership. As a community advocate, Cynthia Joyner is proud to be the presenting sponsor of Jazz in the Park Huntsville. You can find the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group on the web at CynthiaJoyner.com. Jazz is a feeling, an emotion without boundaries, an American art form. What jazz is today is very different from what it was at the beginning. It has um, gone into a lot of uh, different tendrils, you know, a lot of different arms. Um, and it has, I mean, it, so many different genres have stemmed from it. You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, the godfather of all music, really, you know, next to classical. Um, because basically jazz just took classical and turned it inside out. And so, you know, now when you get down to it, you know, some people will say, oh, well, smooth jazz isn't jazz and this jazz isn't that jazz and that jazz isn't jazz. And it's like, you know what? <sighs> Go somewhere. It's all jazz. It's all music. It's all instrumental music. Stop trying to put it in a box. It's not supposed to be in a box. It's supposed to be expressive, however you need it to be expressive. So I guess that's what jazz is. Jazz. Jazz. Jazz with Kenny Anderson. It takes skill, creativity, sheer musical ability, and a charismatic presence to electrify the music scene. And that's just what flautist Reagan Whiteside has done in the world of instrumental soul within a few short years. The Atlanta-based musician, songwriter, and vocalist has consistently delighted fans and critics alike with her unique brand of engaging, upbeat melodies and exhilarating flute playing. With tunes like Off the Cuff, J.J. Strutt, Reminiscing, Janet, Early Arrival, See You at the Get Down, I like that, and the Billboard number one hit, Corey's Bob. My guest today on the Jazz with Kenny Anderson podcast is none other than Reagan Whiteside. Welcome, Reagan. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great, and I'm excited about this opportunity to be able to talk to you today, and I look forward to learning a lot more about what's happening in your world. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're very welcome. You know, Reagan, one of the things I always do with my guests is take it all the way back to the beginning, and we're actually homies because uh, we're from the great state of New York, two different locations in that uh, southern section of the state. Mine is, of course, uh, the borough of Manhattan, but you grew up in Mount Vernon. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Mount Vernon um, is a very special place. It's very small, and uh, but it's right next to the Bronx. Everybody wants to think Mount Vernon is, oh, you live upstate. And it's like, no, you know, <laughs> I hung out in the city. So, um, but it was cool because you also had that, I guess, pseudo suburban kind of vibe, not suburbs as they are down here in the 
in the South South, but um, we did have grants in places. <laughs> so, um, and it was cool because they had a lot of music in Mount Vernon in the schools at the time. And um, it's actually one of the things that inspired me to play the flute was a parade that they had going through the city where all of the um, public schools from elementary all the way through high school, uh, all their bands would march through the city and it was band day parade. And at the time, I think I was like in the second or third grade and I was playing violin and I was playing piano and I was like, but I wanna be in the parade. And they're like, well, you had better pick another instrument. So when I got to the fourth grade, um, I was like, okay, it's, it's time. I'm going to pick this instrument, right? It's like, I want to play the drums. And they're like, sorry, you know, we don't have enough drums to go around and all the boys want to play them, so pick something else. All right, fine. All right, I want to play the trumpet. Oh, we're out of trumpets. Well, oh God, what do you have left? And they said, we have a flute and a clarinet. And I was not enthused about either one of those options. So I was like, okay, give me the flute. And it took me about a week to get a sound out of it. But once I did, um, I started to like it. I started getting good at it and um, just kept going with it. You know, I think that's always interesting to hear how the journey started. Um, many different kinds of instruments available to you. Landing on the flute, of course, and you took it real seriously, it seems, that that when you decided that that was going to be your instrument of choice uh, or opportunity, uh, you took it real seriously. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, because that led to some other opportunities in your academic journey. Oh, absolutely. Um, now, when I started playing the flute, I wanted to play jazz. And um, my parents got me a private teacher, and but he was a classical musician uh, at a Queens, actually. And... Um, I told him, you know, and I, I think I must have been, I think I was 11 uh, when I started taking private lessons and um, I told him I wanted to play jazz and he says, okay, cool, but you got to learn classical first. And I was like, why? I don't want to. And, and he said, that's your foundation. And I said, okay, fine. And I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. But I started doing it and I started to like it and I started getting good at it. And um, I started um, entering and winning competitions. And it was like this running joke because I would never tell him when I was going to enter a competition. And that's one thing you would think you would tell your, your private teacher. And um, I would just come back and be like, hey, I won this thing. They're like, I didn't even know that you were entering. Yeah, well, I won, so let's, let's keep it moving. So, <laughs> and, um, and in my, my classical pursuits, um, and at the time I actually said, you know what, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go, you know, see if I can become a classical soloist or get in, into an orchestra. And I ended up meeting up with um, a couple of mentors from the National Association of Negro Musicians, which uh, was, is um, a, a group of black classical Musicians, it's you know, it's a, a just a place where you get mentorship and support and everything. Because um, at the time, there wasn't really a lot of support uh, for Black people in classical music. 
But I mean, I got to play with, and I had no idea who these people were then. And now I look back on it like, oh my gosh, you know, um, I had Joseph Joubert um, playing piano for me in concerts and competitions. And at the time I was like, I had no idea that this man is like Mr. Broadway and, you know, like has Tonys and all this stuff. And, um, and studying under opera singers, because I was actually studying voice at the time as well. And um, it was just such an amazing experience. And between them and then um, doing AXO, which is the Afro-Academic Cultural, Technological, and Scientific Olympics, uh, which is uh, put on by the NAACP. And it's a national competition uh, for pretty much anything that is out here from music to theater to art, dance, business, science, um, everything. And um, it's a, a national competition that's open on the high school level. And I do believe it's still in existence. And, um, and I won on composition. I've been, I went to nationals a couple of times for flute and everything, but I actually ended up winning on a flute duet that, a classical flute duet that I wrote. And that kind of sparked the bug of songwriting with me and composing. So as I was, you know, I was winning these competitions and going like really hard, hard in the paint on classical and uh, went to, um, conservatory for college, you know, like really high-end conservatories. Um, and it was kind of a culture shock because I was coming out of, you know, okay, Mount Vernon High School. Um, I had the whole um, historically black college band, high-stepping marching band experience there. And then I had the classical stuff and, you know, and I had all of this support. And then I got to conservatory my, the first school I went to, um, the Cleveland Institute of Music at the time, I was one of six black students in the entire school. And then I um, transferred to the Harrod Conservatory, which is um, now Lynn University of Music or something like that. Um, I was the only one in the school. Oh, and okay. so um, my support system was gone. And, uh, and it was hardcore culture shock. And it was a lot, it was a lot. I mean, on top of the regular um, comp competitiveness and uh, intensity of, of, of a music conservatory and everybody and their grandmother is in there trying to go after one spot in an orchestra. And uh, I got to senior year and I, I, it, I just realized that my heart just was not in it anymore to the point where I was, I actually walked out of a concerto competition. I knew this thing, this concerto, 20 minute concerto. I knew it from memory. I knew it like the back of my hand. And I went in there and I got halfway through and I forgot everything. Everything just went right out. And I said, wow, okay. And the, and the judges, they were like, well, you know, you're doing really well. You know, you could start again. And I said, you know what? No, no, I'm good. And I walked off the stage and I walked out of the auditorium 
and I still had about three months left until I graduated uh, with my bachelor's and everybody was mad at me, <laughs> but I finished out everything. I did what I had to do. But when I graduated, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. It's like, okay, now I have this classical music degree and I don't want to do classical music anymore. So now what? Um, so I went back home to New York and there was a little jazz club called the oh. Office Blue Light. Before you do that, let me just ask you one quick thing, because I know we're about to really get into some meaty stuff that takes us to where we are now. Mm -hmm. Let me just ask you again, because I think this is extremely significant, especially for a lot of people that might be listening to this conversation. You referenced the National Association of Negro Musicians and the impact that that had on you as a mentoring body. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that that's something that you embraced, that you benefited from. And I wanted you to just share a little bit more about the value of having that experience and having a mentor in terms of being able to help one guide their journey. It is so absolutely important. And I didn't realize um, until I was much older um, how important it was. Um, here I am. I was, you know, um, early teens and through my late teens, um, being advised, looked after, taught, guided by these incredible professional musicians from all walks of life. And um, sharing with me, not just um, their life experiences, but also just how to navigate this classical, the classical world, how to even from executing, you know, whatever piece uh, you're working on, stage presence, um, what to wear, how to carry yourself, um, little things in the music, even even in my um, in my compositions, you know, um, kind of dissecting. Uh, okay, well, maybe you should have gone to the C section here instead of you know, and, and stuff like that. It was just it's absolutely invaluable and it normalized what I was doing. You know, I might not have been able to see that on television. I might not have been able to see that on the stage when I went to um, Lincoln Center performances, but I had that in my immediate world. I had it. I saw people doing it. I saw the concerts. I participated in the concerts. I was there and I was like a sponge and I just, it, it's, I just soaked everything up. And I just, I don't know where I would be without that kind of experience. I really don't. Yeah, I think that's just an amazing piece of a person's journey when they can reflect on the power of mentoring and whatever uh, aspect of the life that they're living is because it does have a profound effect on people's lives. Uh, it is not often that people go to visit a jazz club and their life is literally transformed because of the experience. I've been to a lot of jazz experiences and I don't know, I don't know that my life has ever been transformed as yours was on this occasion that you were about to share. So you got to share with us about this experience that you had at a jazz club one night. Yes, and this this experience, this is one of those uh, times where my entire life just rounded a corner. It, it just changed the whole trajectory. It just 
changed everything from that moment on this night. Um, it was in June. It was right after I graduated from college, went back home and uh, Bob Baldwin and Marion Meadows and about, oh, I don't know, eight other people were on the stage. I mean, it was, it was a huge, huge um, band on the stage. And the, I think there were probably more people on the stage than there were in the audience. It was, <laughs> you know, it, the, the, club was, the club was pretty small. Maybe, maybe it held a hundred people, maybe. And, um, and I was sitting right up front and I mean, right up front. I could have touched, reached out and touched Marion's horn. And, um, and I'm sitting there and like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. This is it right here. And um, I went up to Bob after the show and I said, look, you know, um, I'm a classical musician. I want to get into jazz. You know, I play the flute of all things. Um, you know, what, do you have any advice for me? And um, he was so open and warm and we talked for a long time. And um, I ended up, he ended up inviting me to a, a session that he was doing like the next day or the day after um, with, to do a jingle for a CD 101.9, which was the smooth jazz station in New York at the time. And I was like, really? And he says, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, call, uh, just give me a day. I'm going to call you with the, uh, the address. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to call me. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right, right, right. All right. So, but then he, he called and I was like, Oh my God, this is happening. This is happening. So, um, I go over to the studio, which was in Yonkers and I ring the bell. And here comes Dennis Johnson. Dennis owned the studio. So I went up there and um, I, I got to sit in on my first recording session. And I actually played for them a little bit. I played some classical and I played a Stevie Wonder tune. And, uh, and I ended up playing on the CD 101 jingle. So that day I got strong mentorship out of Bob, which has lasted my entire adult life. And I ended up marrying Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I said your life was literally transformed yes. by that visit to the jazz club. <laughs> it did. <laughs> the August blue light will forever be in my heart, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
That's Reagan Whiteside with Off the Cuff. And now, back to Kenny's conversation with Reagan on Jazz with Kenny Anderson. Well, you know, Reagan, a lot of times I have a chance to talk to people about that uh, intersection of marriage and family. And of course, Dennis is your manager and uh, you all were married. And so mm-hmm. talk a little bit about what that journey has been like and how it has impacted your uh, music career. It's really been that partnership that we have has been everything, honestly, because he's not just my manager. He's my writing partner. He's my producer. Um, you know, and we were we were friends for a long time. Actually, we were <laughs> we weren't even friends. We were just like, you know, business, straight business. I went in there to record my stuff and, you know, and he would show me some stuff in the uh, in the studio. He was he also was kind of a teacher for me because, I mean, he taught me everything about um, making music with computers and how to uh, run a recording session. I became a little recording engineer. I could I could run a session. I just I was you know I was kind of nice with it at one point. But um, <laughs> um, so we we've written so many songs together, and uh, we just vibe off of each other, and um, it just it just keeps going and keeps building. And it's nice to know that we're we're building together and moving in the same direction, and we have the same goals, and it just works. We're like we're like yin and yang with each other, so it just works. And at one point, you all decide to launch a music label. So talk a little bit about that, and what has that experience been like? Yeah, you know, the, <laughs> playing the flute. Um, the flute at one point in um, contemporary jazz, it was not really accepted. And so, you know, I was always the underdog, the underdog, the underdog, and trying to um, get a deal, a record deal. Um, I just heard 14 million no's. And I am not one to let a no stop me. So, um, we said, all right, well, let's just, uh, let's do what we got to do to put this music out ourselves. And so, you know, we, we formed this label just for, really just for the purpose of putting out our own music. Um, and it was a lot of um, trial and error. It was a lot of research, it was a lot of money, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was just, um, just trying to get out here. And this was back when we had like, um, you know, CD Baby was just starting up. Um, it was, what was it? MySpace was just starting up. And, um, you know, we were just using all the tools that were becoming available to independent musicians. And um, we just kept going and kept going. And finally, you know, once we really started to see some success um, on Billboard and stuff like that, you know, we said, all right, I think it's uh, I think it's time to start, you know, branching out, you know, and so we actually signed our first um, our first project that is not me, <laughs> and um, and we're just gonna grow it and see where see where it goes. But I mean, it's just a matter of having a uh, a business entity from which we can do everything that we want to do musically. I think the flute is a beautiful instrument. 
and it's one of my favorite instruments. Uh, I'm a kind of a big piano, flute, jazz person. So I know that one of your major influences was uh, Hubert Laws. Yes. And I just wonder if you would spend a moment reflecting on the legends of flute music mm -hmm. uh, who have influenced you and your career. Oh, yes. So it's funny, Hubert Laws um, was probably the one that made me see that flute can do both classical and jazz. Um, I remember seeing the first time I was exposed to Hubert Laws was a duet that he did with Kathleen Battle, uh, opera singer. And um, and he had this gold flute and I, was, and I was just like, whoa, look at that. And the stuff that he was doing with it, I was just like, you know, that's incredible. And um, so I was watching him and listening to him. And then on the other side, we have Dave Valentine, um, who was Mr. Bronx and Mr. Latin Jazz and just a legendary, you know, Latin Jazz flautist. And so accessible on top of that, because, you know, he was always playing out on City Island um, and he was just always around town. So I, I got a chance to um, see him a lot. And then finally, I actually got a chance to um, perform with him. We actually traded fours uh, during a show, which thankfully uh, somebody got on video. It's actually on YouTube now. And I think you can actually see my knees shaking on this <laughs> playing standing next to Dave Valentine. Um, I, you know, I held on, I just had to hold on for dear life. It was, it was amazing. And it was one of the, one of his last performances before he got ill. And so um, it was listening to all these, these flute players and then Jean-Pierre Rampal, um, who was just an incredible, incredible flutist, French flutist. And, um, and he really kind of opened up new ways for me to play classical music because he was, he played classical music like he wanted to play jazz. He, he just had this, this edge to the way he played. And um, it was just really cool to listen to. And I think that in my classical playing, I probably, you know, took a lot from him. You know, in the early 80s, 90s, in that zone, Atlanta was one of my favorite destination places. And I'm just thrilled to say that I was there one weekend when the Atlanta Jazz Festival was in Piedmont Park. And I got a chance to hear Hubert Laws play and it was an absolute treat. And he's always been one of my favorites. And what an honor it is to have a chance to reflect on his life and uh, the influence that he's had on yours. Mm -hmm. uh, you also, um, I love your creativity and your transitional points. You've also moved into the space of radio personality for a jazz station in Atlanta. You got to tell me about how that happens. Yeah, you know, that was, that was, <laughs> That was God and the universe and all the powers that be. It was, uh, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, one day, really out of the blue, um, David Linton, who's the program director over there, he, uh, he calls up, he says, hey, do you want to be on the radio? I said, <laughs> I said, I'm already on the radio. He says, no, 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 no. 
no, not your music. I mean, you, you talking. And I'm like, huh, I never actually thought about doing it. And um, he says, I think you have a great voice. I said, I do? He says, yeah, but you still have to audition. So, <laughs> so he sends me a script and uh, we go into the studio and I, and I, you know, did my best, you know, and, and it wasn't the first time I've read something like that. Cause you have to do, you know, you do drops for different uh, radio stations and it wasn't too different from that. So um, he, he took it back to the station manager and they liked it and said, okay, you know, here's a shot. Let's see how you do. And so um, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty scary going in there the first day. Um, but they were great. I have a lot of people over there helping me and, um, you know, giving me little, little pointers here and there and, you know, things to watch out for and, you know, try not to drop an F-bomb and stuff like that. You know, and <laughs> this is public radio. Don't say anything about liquor and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, so like there's little things that she just, I mean, F-bombs, obviously that's, that's a no brainer, but you know, there's little things that, you know, they say, you know, that you have to remember and how to um, say the call, the station call letters and, you know, there's certain places where you have to do it. And, you know, it, there's, there's a, there's a science behind it. And it was really cool um, learning about that, you know, that whole world from the other side. You know, um, you know it from, as a musician, you know how it goes there, but um, being in that booth, you know, picking these songs and seeing how it's like, oh, wow, now I see why one song gets played more than the other. I see now why they don't, play this song at this point because the intro is too long or um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hit fast enough or it's just a six minute song and we just don't have time. So um, it's, it was just really is eye opening to see, you know, the science and the math behind it. Yeah, you hit on so many things because I also have had an opportunity to be on the radio now for a little over 30 years and I didn't have a communications background and I've learned a lot through the journey. Just like you said, there's a science behind it. For most people, it always looks easier than it, than it is on the yep. other side. And there's so exactly. many things you got to keep your mind in intact to be able to fulfill. And uh, I'm just, just delighted to hear that it's coming along so well for you. Um, before we close, I got to give you an opportunity to just reflect for a few moments on what I think is probably what you would consider to be your greatest role in life, and that's the role of mom. So I want to celebrate your motherhood at this moment and give you a chance to just share a little bit about what that experience is like. Oh, man. You know, having children really opened both me and Dennis up creatively. Um, it is very profound the way that all went down suddenly it was like the floodgates opened and suddenly those those 12 notes became 12,000 notes and it was um it's it's incredibly difficult please make no mistake it is hard having kids uh and a music career and everything else that that happens um but everything makes space for each other and so, you know, um, 
seeing the things that they do, all the little cute things that they do, all the little things that make me mad, all <laughs> the stuff that they break, you know, even when um, they decide to have a snowball fight in the living room with six pounds of kinetic sand. <sighs> but um, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, that actually inspired a song. I don't know if that song will ever actually come out. It was an angry song, but, um, <laughs> but you know, things like that, you know, um, it's an absolute dream and a privilege to be their mom. I know it is. And, uh, you know, the amazing thing about that whole process is from whatever direction you're looking at it or experiencing it, before you know it, they're off to school. Before you know it, they're graduating from something. Before you know it, they're moving on in life. And you wonder kind of like where the years have gone. And so uh, your investment in this moment, of course, is extremely valuable to everyone involved and uh, wish you the best on that as well. Reagan, you do have a uh, social media presence, you have a web presence. Uh, tell people where they can find you and tell us also where people can find you and when they can find you on the radio as well. Oh, sure. So uh, ReaganWhiteside.com uh, is my website. And um, I'm also on Facebook, Reagan Whiteside Music, Instagram and Twitter, Reagan Whiteside. And um, I'm on WCLK in Atlanta, 91.9. You can go to WCLK.com um, and listen on Saturdays from 10 until 2 Eastern. You want to give me just a little taste of the radio voice that you use? <laughs> a little taste? <laughs> give me a little taste. Oh, God, can I do it without cracking up now? See, now I'm all I fine. hope so. <laughs> You're a professional. Jazz 91.9 WCLK, Atlanta's Jazz Station. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Reagan Whiteside. Reagan, you've been amazing today. What an honor it's been to be able to have this chance to talk to you and learn all about what's happening in your life now and how you got to this position in life. And we look forward to additional opportunities to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. It is just, I am so grateful. Thank you. Jazz with Kenny Anderson is a partnership with Jazz in the Park Huntsville and is produced by David Person for David Person Media, LLC. The theme music was written and produced by Kelvin Wooten. Damian Malone provides podcast platform management. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Jazz with Kenny Anderson. The Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group is an award-winning team with hundreds of successful transactions under their belt. Through their national network, the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group works hard to help families realize the dream of home ownership. As a community advocate, Cynthia Joyner is proud to be the presenting sponsor of Jazz in the Park Huntsville. You can find the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group on the web at CynthiaJoyner.com.